Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Every culture has stories about heroes. It's almost as if there's an instinct inside of us that knows something has gone wrong with the world and we need someone who's stronger and smarter than us to put things right. Well, in the ancient world, there were myths about Hercules and Thor. In the Middle Ages, there were legends about King Arthur or um, Robin Hood. In our day, we have stories about superheroes like Batman, Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, Wonder Woman. As a kid, my favorite was Superman. I wanted to be Superman. I wanted to be faster than a speeding bullet. I wanted to be stronger than a locomotive. I wanted to be able to fly. But most of all, I wanted Superman's chest. That magnificent Superman chest with the great big red S on it. Probably because I've never had that kind of chest, the, the kind of chest that would accommodate such a curvy letter. A less curvy letter, perhaps, like a, an, an I or a, or a lowercase L. That's by the by. In Jesus' day, Israel was waiting for a Superman. They called him Messiah, the Anointed One. And they expected him to be a powerful king who would defeat Israel's enemies in battle and put everything right. Their hero. And the central claim of Christianity is that Jesus is the Messiah, the king, the hero who has come to fix this world. He's the Anointed One in whom all our deepest hopes and longings are fulfilled. Our true hero. This morning, I'd like to spend some time focusing on him, on who Jesus is and what he came to do. And let's do that by reflecting on a remarkable story in John chapter 11. Now, this story is about two sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus. They lived in Bethany, which is just a little village, a little village in Judea, just out of Jerusalem. And, and they were three of Jesus' dearest, closest friends. He loved them. So one day when Lazarus was seriously ill, with his life hanging in the balance, his sisters send word to Jesus with this message, Lord, the one who you love is sick. Now, understandably, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But they say, Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. The authorities in Jerusalem want Jesus dead, and he knows this. But he heads to Bethany anyway. Let's pick the story up at verse 17 and see what we can glean from Jesus' encounter with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, this is significant. The Jews believed that for three days, the soul of a dead person remained near the body, hoping to re-enter it. But by, by the fourth day, with the body decomposing, the soul departed. Jesus wants us to know that Lazarus is truly dead. There's no hope for Lazarus. Verse 18. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, this is an astounding claim. I mean, Jesus is saying, I am the Lord of life. I am the source of life. In other words, I am God. A lot of my friends would say, I really admire Jesus' teaching. I, you know, love your enemies, that kind of thing. Jesus was clearly a great moral teacher, but I don't believe he's God. I, I think many people in New Zealand would say the same thing. But it's not intellectually honest to say that. Because if, as this text says, Jesus claims to be God, it demands a much more radical response. As C.S. Lewis once famously said, you, can, you only have three options. You can either denounce him as a liar, reject him as a lunatic, or fall down and worship him as Lord because he's God. There are only three choices. What you can't do is say moderately and tolerantly, he was a wise teacher. The story doesn't allow that because here Jesus claims to be God with power over death. And think for a moment about what that means. If Jesus is God, if he wields power over death, then he can bring good out of every death, out of every difficult and painful experience. Look at a man like Charles Colson. He was a hugely successful lawyer, served as special counsel to President Nixon in the White House. But in 1974, he pleaded guilty to charges relating to the Watergate scandal, and he ended up in prison for seven years, the darkest moment of his life. But before going to prison, he turned his life over to Jesus, inviting Jesus to, to bring something good out of his great failure. And Jesus did. Out of the ashes of that man's weakness and brokenness emerged Prison Fellowship, the world's largest prison ministry, which today brings love and support in about 80 different countries to hundreds of thousands of prisoners and their families. And Charles Colson says, the real legacy of my life was my biggest failure, that I was an ex-convict. My great humiliation, being sent to prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. What's your great humiliation? Where are you confronted with brokenness and pain? Look to Jesus. Invite him into that pain. He can breathe new life into that dead relationship. He can give you power to rise above that addiction. He can, he can transform that situation at work. He can bring good out of your greatest mistake. Jesus is God. But that doesn't fully explain who he is. Look at what happens in the next interaction. Verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had, had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. 
The word translated wept does not mean quiet and polite sniffling. It means loud wailing. Jesus breaks down sobbing beneath the weight of Mary's grief and his own pain. Now, we might think if he were really divine, he wouldn't be so emotionally vulnerable, but he is. In Jesus, we see divine power joined to human weakness. This story suggests that Jesus is both fully divine and fully human. No other religion agrees with this. No other religion believes that the transcendent creator, the author of life, became a weak, limited mortal who felt the full horror of death. It's unique to Christianity and it's uniquely comforting. When I was a student at Kerry, I remember reading the work of Nicholas Walterstorff, a, a philosopher, professor of philosophy. He lost his 24-year-old son, Eric, in a climbing accident. And Walterstorff later wrote a book called Lament for a Son, in which he traced the anguish of his loss as he struggled to come to terms with it. And this is what he wrote. He said, there is a hole in the world now. In the place where he was, Eric, there's now just nothing. Only a gap remains. The world is emptier. My son is gone. Only a hole remains, a void, a gap, never to be filled. I've become an alien in the world. I, I don't belong anymore. I buried myself that, that June day. It was me those gardeners lowered on squeaking straps into that hot, dry hole. It was me on whom we shoveled dirt. It was me we left behind. Sometimes I think that happiness is over for me. But he also wrote this. He said, I found comfort in the realization that God did not strike some mighty blow of power, but he sent his beloved son to suffer like us and through his suffering to redeem us from suffering and evil. Instead of explaining our suffering, God shares it. He loves us enough to enter our pain. And it's this paradox that Jesus is both divine and human that in my mind makes him so beautiful, so remarkable. He is the sovereign ruler of the universe, and yet he's absolutely approachable. He's infinitely powerful, yet he's incredibly humble. He's absolutely perfect, yet he's always understanding. He's unbelievably strong, yet he's so tender and gentle. He is lion and he is lamb. He's God in the flesh. He understands, in other words, he understands your weakness. He sees your struggle. He feels your pain. He grieves with you. But of course, this leaves us with a question. Why did he do it? Why did absolute power have to enter into our weakness? Well, let's go back into the text. Verse 38 says that Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The word translated deeply moved means to bellow with anger, to roar with fury. Jesus is absolutely furious. He's 
angry. He's outraged. Why? Well, Dylan Thomas once wrote, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the, 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 the dying of the light. Jesus is raging against death. He's, he's looking into the tomb, staring into that dark hole of death, and he's outraged. He didn't make a world filled with sickness and suffering and death. He hates these things and the evil that causes them. So you might ask, if Jesus is that unhappy with the world as it is, why doesn't he just sweep all the evil away? Because so much of the misery and death in the world is caused by the evil in our hearts. There's more selfishness and pride in our hearts than we want to believe. You may have heard about that study that, that measured how long it takes the average person to leave a car park. Um, guess how long it takes the average person to unlock their vehicle, get in, you know, start the engine, check the rear view mirror and leave the parking space. About 25 seconds. But guess how long it takes people to vacate the parking space if someone is waiting for their space? Not 25 seconds, but 30 seconds. And if the car waiting honks their horn in impatience, close to 40 seconds. There's something fundamentally rebellious and selfish about the human spirit. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was right when he said that the battle line between good and evil does not run between nations. It runs through the heart of every person. So if Jesus had come to earth with the sword of God's wrath against evil, none of us would have been left to tell the story. As Tim Keller says, Jesus did not come with a sword in his hands, thankfully. He came with nails in his hands. He didn't come to bring judgment, but to bear judgment. Later in this chapter, the religious leaders, they, they realized that this miracle, it's made Jesus more popular than ever. And so they convene a, a council meeting and they decide that, in their words, it's better that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And so, verse 37, it says, from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Within a few days, Jesus will be hanging on a cross. Do you see the irony? In the words of, of Keller, the only way for Jesus to bring Lazarus out of the grave was to put himself in the grave. The only way for Jesus to interrupt Lazarus's funeral is to summon his own. The only way for Jesus to give us life is to lay down his own life, to take our sin, our evil upon himself and bury it in the grave. Some time back, I came across a story from Anne Lamott and she writes this. She says that many years ago, when I worked as a volunteer at a hospital, I got to know a little girl named Liz who was suffering from a rare and, and serious disease. Her only chance of recovery appeared to be a blood transfusion from her five-year-old brother who had miraculously survived the same disease and had developed the antibodies needed to combat the illness. And so the doctors explained the situation to her little brother and they asked the little boy if, if he would be willing to give his blood to his sister. And Lamotte says, I saw him hesitate for only a moment before taking a deep breath and saying, yes, I'll do it if it'll save her. And as the transfusion progressed, he lay in, in bed next to his sister and he smiled as we all did, seeing the color returning to her cheek. And then his face grew pale and his smile faded. He looked up at the doctor and he asked with a trembling voice, will I start to die straight away? Being young, this little boy had misunderstood the doctor. He thought he was gonna to have to give all of his blood in order to save his sister. And yet he was willing, as was our creator. 
In Jesus Christ, God came to our rescue. In his death and his resurrection, he demonstrated that he can bring life out of any death. He demonstrated that he he understands your weakness. He feels your pain. And he demonstrated that he is for you. He is for you. And he's willing to transmit his life, his goodness into you. So give him that broken relationship. Give him that secret addiction. Give him that desperate struggle. Give him that massive mistake. Give him that challenge at work. Give him that dream to which you cling. Give him your loved one. Give him your life. Trust him with it. One day at the end of time, he will make all things new. His creation will be perfectly restored. Sickness and sin and selfishness and sadness will be no more. Because Jesus truly is the great hero. The one in whom all of our deepest hopes and longings are fulfilled. Amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.